Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, powered by SpannersReady.com, bringing you blogs, reviews, podcasts, and occasionally news. Today's episode is called Multi-33. Joining me tonight in the podcasting shed... Reminiscing this and that, having such a good time. Oodalady, oodalady, golly, what a day. It's Matt. Two rumpets. Oh, Matt, I feel so bad that you couldn't hear your intro music this week, but the live stream can and the recording can. How are you, sir? I'm great, man. I had the best day ever yesterday. Do you know why I had the best day ever Tell me, tell me. Because I got to go to a real-life Hollywood movie premiere with my whole family that was right here in New York for Freezeville. And we got to go to the after party too. And can I tell you, do you know where the after party was? Bristol. No, it was at this place called Dave and Buster's, which is like a video arcade with a restaurant attached to it. And they closed it down and gave us game cards and we played for free for three hours with free food and an open bar. Well, that sounds good. Yeah, I, I signed me up for more. This is definitely the way to live in New York. But look, I don't want the podcast listeners to be fooled by the, oh, hi, I'm Ronald McDonald trumpet, right? The live stream were treated to about 20 minutes of full-on Matt Grump, and that is how we start every single Sunday evenings. So don't don't sit here and pretend you're Mr. Sunshine. I'm totally Mr. Sunshine. I don't know what you're talking about. Any grumpiness is merely an artifact of having been up since basically 1.30 in the morning. Tell you what, though, I might be up to 1.30 in the morning because I might have to sleep in the shed tonight. Now, I call this the podcasting shed. That is a bit of a stretch because it is actually a music studio that we've built 
in the back garden of our house and I, I adopt it for the podcasting shed. But she was in here in between cooking dinner, recording some stuff. I, I set it up for her and then I locked her in the shed from the outside. I just absentmindedly locked her in the shed. Yeah, but then I realised, <laughs> then I realised, and then I turned around and I went, ah, oh, no, I've locked her in the shed. Phew, what a relief. So I, I unlocked it and gave her the key. Then I went out for a bike ride with the kids and I got an email, not a phone call, I got an email from Nicola saying, I've left my phone in the house, you've gone in and locked the door of the house. So not only did I make that initial mistake, but I also <laughs> locked her out of the house. So I got this email, I'm 10 minutes away on the bike with the kids. I finally got in the house and looked at her, she was stood outside the French windows of the house, livid. And uh, she nearly took away my podcast privileges, but I fully expect, I fully expect that when I go to get back in the house, it's going to be locked. I, I wouldn't imagine that she changed the lock on the door and you won't even be able to get out of the shed, my friend. Uh, <laughs> for those of you just finding us, we are an independent podcast hosted by SpannersReady.com, the home of F1 articles, and very shortly, Formula E stuff too. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play it in the background or with kids in your car. Uh, joining us tonight is, what, a kid? Chris Stevens from Formula Spy. Hey, Chris. Hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm going to struggle to hear you through your quietness. You might have to enunciate, Chris Stevens. Oh, uh, enunciating? Yeah. It's the first rule of podcasting, yes? Yes, the second rule is don't talk about podcasting. And joining us, stepping in, is the guru of Downforce Radio, motorsport commentator, trackside commentator, TV personality, Channel 5 TV personality, guy I saw on the big screen at the Formula E finale. It's Jake Sanson. How's it going, Jake? It's going really well, mate. Thank you for bringing me into the madness that is Missed Apex. It's nice. It's a real honour. It's fine. Well, it's hard to avoid you, is it? You're everywhere. You're on Channel 5 talking about lotus eye, lotuses. I know. Mm. How how crazy is that? I mean, I I completely forgotten I'd actually filmed that, and then it just ended up being on television. And I had about seventeen people message me on Facebook. I've just seen you on Channel Five. What are you doing there? So it was one of those um, talking head type shows where they go, "Oh, look, yes, here's a thing," and then here's talking head. And there's Tiff Nadell, and there's people people care about, and then Jake Sanson's on my TV. Yeah, it's, it's very it's very weird to be on the same show. 0.3 of a second after people like Tiff Nadell and Phil Tufnell and the Weasley twins from the Harry Potter films. And then there's just some fat bloke who talks about cars. It's very, very strange to be on that same program as people. But yeah, I've had some great reviews and people seem to think I have an energy, which is good. So I'm happy with that. So welcome as well to the chat room that are in there. Remember, you can call us, guys, if you want to. We've got a phone number. Turn your phone on. The number is 0115888APEX. Of course, you can chat in the chat room today. Jake Sanson's brought along his own unique following. So there's actually people in the chat room today, more than our, our normal stoic bunch. So let's move on to the pre-race uh, bits. If you want to join, join the live stream in the future, go to spannersready.com and click the live stream tab. Matthew. I, I thought the show was safe for work. What did I say? You did not say tidbits. I'll just put it to you that way. So let's go to the pre-race tidbits. Can I, <laughs> let's go to the pre-race tidbits. Matt, before the race, before we even got to the track, uh, the worst driver in F1 had a vaguely interesting thing happen to him. Yes, it was a horrible accident. Ericsson hit the chicken. 
He did. He hit a massive chicken on the road and it was all over social media for a day. And as I said on Downforce Radio, this is the most interesting thing that has ever happened or will ever happen to Marcus Ericsson. I would agree entirely. Although I, I, I did feel compelled to point out that at least Maldonado hit other cars. You'd racing. like to hope that this would be the last season for Marcus Ericsson, wouldn't you? But he brings a lot of money to Sauber and unfortunately he's not going anywhere. Yeah, no, it, it's a shame because there are actually some rather quick Swedish drivers. They just happen to be in other uh, series at the moment. And our poor Jake had something to say. Jake. I did. Um, and then you've caught me mid-chip. Um, Felix Rosenquist. Much better Swede could be in Formula One and should be in Formula One. Good, good. And uh, speaking of nearly a Swede is a Dane. And what we've been talking about quite a lot is the halo. And this adds a little bit of fuel to the fire. As it were. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, there's an oil leak. We've been talking a lot about extraction times for, for the halo. And we don't know yet whether they've done any official testing or official timings. I believe they haven't. But... Magnuson sort of said, hey, you know, it's really important that I got out of that burning car. Well, you know, it was interesting in the uh, after that happened, because obviously he wasn't running the halo, but he did manage to extract himself very rapidly. He seemed to be a motivated, mm. motivated person with the uh, fire cooking up behind him. But Perez in an interview said that it was roughly double the time to get out of the car. He said 10 seconds instead of five. Uh, I did. I did see that in an interview. It was the first time I'd ever seen anyone put an actual number on it. Chris looks baffled. What is it, Chris? Well, I heard uh, Alexander Wurtz, who's the head of the GPDA, uh, Grand Prix Drivers Association, for those who don't know what that means. Um, and he said that it would add half a second to the extraction time, um, which is, which is very different to what Perez has said, obviously. Um, interestingly, he, he kind of harkened back to when the Hans device was introduced and that added about a tenth of a second to extraction times. And Yeah, no but the, cha- the chat room through, through Anonymous321 is saying what would have happened if he'd have been in an accident uh, and the halo had deformed and then he'd had the fire? You know, that's, that's something. I don't know how easily that does deform. Uh, well, I don't know how easily it deforms either. We've never actually seen someone running a halo you know, turn their car upside down, like say Alonso did yeah. in Melbourne. But having watched, but they they have run extraction tests, and the fact that we haven't seen a specific number from the FIA would alone lead me to conclude that they cannot get out of the car as fast as the five second requirement that is currently in place with the entirely open cockpit. And with regards to the halo, Chris, just because I'm feeling a bit whatever, with regards to the halo. Unlike the Hans device, which very clearly offered a great deal of extra protection to drivers, yeah, the halo it, does not necessarily. It only in very specific instances that, quite frankly, have occurred only rarely. Jake? Yeah, I was going to say, it, it, it's very good that you make that point. I have advocated right from the first appearance of the design. It's a really difficult thing to talk about because of the implications for why we're bringing the halo in. This is obviously a trigger reaction to Joe Bianchi's accident in 2014. Agreed. And I personally believe that the halo is not an improvement of safety in any way, shape or form. It's not safer. If you actually look at the incidents that this thing would be trying to protect, I don't think it would actually help solve a situation. If anything, I think it makes it worse rather than safer. 
And the very fact that we're introducing this, it's fixing a problem that isn't there. The problem that we need to fix is having tractors and safety cars on the circuit under a yellow flag situation. That's what we should be fixing. We certainly shouldn't be strapping plastic thongs to the tops of cockpits of Formula One cars because it doesn't make things safer. It makes it look stupid and it actually makes things worse. So let's let's, let's be honest. This is a reaction to the Bianchi incident, as you've said. No Bianchi incident, no halo. It's, and that's as far as I see it. I stand to be corrected. Uh, Sorry, I was just going to point out that it's been kind of demonstrated and proven that any kind of head protection wouldn't have um, saved Bianchi. I think it's more of a reaction to Justin Wilson's accident in IndyCar. Um, And I kind of disagree that maybe Formula One has felt the need to take, uh, you know, has has taken on the onus to develop this so-called safety device. I think it's IndyCar's problem personally, but. Yeah, well, let's let's remind ourselves. One, Justin Wilson's incident occurred, and I, I watched that race. I saw that happen. First of all, that occurred on an oval, not on a street circuit. Second of all, and they were very clear about this, the only thing that the halo really protects against is going to be a loose wheel or a wheel invading the headspace of the cockpit between the roll hoop and the, the, the current little windscreen that they run. That has happened to exactly one person recently, and that would be Henry Surtees. And, and that was a real, real tragedy. Yeah. I think you're seeing this. I think you can call the Bianchi incident defining in the sense that the FAA felt the need to be seen to, doing, to be doing something. Exactly. And I think they settled on this as being the, the thing that they thought they could fix. But on uh, James Allen's site, as I brought up pretty much every week that we've talked about it, is an actual doctor, trackside doctor who did a study. The biggest driver of injuries uh, to drivers, sorry about that, that was very poorly worded, but nonetheless true, is lateral G impacts. That's where drivers get injured most often. And if anything ought to be looked at to, to make the most difference based on the data, that's where you need to be looking, and that would be circuit design, and that would be cockpit design and cockpit yeah. protection. But the human head really isn't built to withstand withstand lateral Gs like that. That's where these concussions come from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's there was a lot of pre-race stuff, but then again, that race went ahead and became one of the most interesting races of the season. So we are going to move on. I'll let the chat room have the last word. Anonymous321 is saying IndyCar allows ballast in the nose, F1 doesn't. And that's contributed to Wilson's accident. I'm getting some nods from you guys. Boozed is asking, would the halo have prevented Massa's accident in Hungary? Well, that's a bit of a, you don't know, would would it have gone through that bar or not? The bar is directly in front of the face, so it may have done. But that's certainly not what that bar in front of the face is designed for. I think that's, you know, that's to to move things up and over onto the halo, not a small part like a gear. Gary HTC is saying, I bet Barrichello could shoot another spring between those thongs. So he's not thinking the halo <laughs> would have protected Massa, uh, not That's laughing horrible. at poor Massa. Funny, but yeah, good point. Okay, so moving on to the race, we get to play my favourite game, Whose Fault Is It? Yes, after an eventful qualifying where Hamilton scored his one. 1,000th, 100th front row row start. Uh, He started on the front and actually got away. I'm going to lay my cards on the table, Chris, and say that the car coming through from the number four or five position, Sebastian Vettel, was wholly at blame for spinning out Nico Rosberg. Do you agree? 
Well, I would say if you have to blame anyone, yes, uh, it would be Sebastian Vettel. But we don't have to blame anyone because a, I think you know, start incidents we should, you know, go a little bit easier on, take a more like a MotoGP approach where they basically let anything on the first and last lap go. Um, but also, I think it was ju- it was just like Spa, you know, three into one doesn't go. Vettel was making a perfectly legit move on Max Verstappen, and uh, it, it, it just so happened that he just understeered into to, to Rosberg. I don't think you can really blame him for that. Yeah, so we have the official wording from the FIA, but I got to be honest, I watched and and happened to be lucky enough to rewatch the start and then i saw the fom app put up the video and i watched it again and for all the world it looks like vettel is very far ahead of verstappen it looks like he made contact his rear wheel and verstappen's front wheel made contact and then he understeered into the back of rosberg who had no idea he was there i am just loath to i would be loath to give him that kind of a penalty but it says it stays clearing the language uh, the driver of car five made a small error entering to the inside of turn one. So what that error is, I don't know why they said it that way, but clearly they felt it necessary to assign blame. And I think they're trying to make a larger point to the drivers, but it was dubious for me. Jake. I don't think a penalty was necessary, but I do think Vettel was at fault. Uh, the reason I say that is because, you know, it was very clear watching the interview with Sebastian Vettel afterwards. That was a man who realized yeah. I screwed up. Yeah, you know, and- I, I realized it, it was completely my fault. I didn't mean to do that. And he was really apologetic, actually, to Nico. He was really, I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't mean to do that. And I've completely screwed up your race. And I'm really sorry. Considering that Nico Rosberg is the luckiest man in Sepang, which we'll come <laughs> on to. Um, I don't think that Sebastian Vettel's actions warranted a penalty. I think at best... A racing incident that went wrong so i don't think they sh- i don't think he should have got a penalty for it personally i think that was quite harsh so you're saying sebastian is the one who pushed the remote control button that blew up lewis engine then <laughs> well here we go the internet uh, conspiracy <laughs> theories um and i've already read a couple of those interestingly um but yeah i mean t- to be fair you know sebastian vettel's already taken the penalty in my opinion when the yeah. wheel came off and his race was over so you know i, I personally Agreed. feel this this trend that the fia seems to have of an incident like this when a guy has caused an incident even if he's out of the race of giving him a penalty as far as i'm concerned is a bit like cracking somebody's ribs when they've already got a broken nose and a black eye you know it, it doesn't produce anything productive at all what it makes the fia out to be is not policing it makes them out to be big fat bullies and i'm sorry that that's not the way a sport a world championship sport should be run you know at the end of the day he tried an overtaking move on nico rosberg a bad one it backfired rosberg got away vettel is out of the race end of why are we throwing penalties subsequently that will affect him in another race he's already taken the penalty leave him alone but other drivers have received penalties so if he hadn't have received a penalty for doing that would there be a case of people saying oh look the fia are protecting the ferrari driver so i even though you might be right let's let these guys off perhaps it would have shown some inconsistency to not give him a penalty but actually i'm not i'm loath to give him entirely all the blame because what we i think what we saw in that turn one was two distinct battles that were pretty much unaware of each other. We had Hamilton and Rosberg. All Rosberg was thinking was, stick on the outside line of Hamilton and I can do him into turn two. 
which I think we saw he had his eye on that later in the race when he did a similar thing to Kimi Raikkonen. All he's thinking about is, I've got to leave a Lewis width on that side. Um, and then you've got Vettel and, uh, and Verstappen also not thinking about the Mercs at the front. And they both, I think you'll find, they both break late. And as they approach that Mercedes battle, Verstappen took avoiding action. I think Vettel was really just concentrating on Max. And then he just ends up chinning uh, Rosberg on the outside of him. Had he kept his line, had he not understeered, had he not perhaps braked quite as late, he would have kept the inside line and Rosberg would have been kind of, you know, correct to hold that. Uh, Let's go to Matt. Yeah, well, I was going to ask, having watched it and rewatched it, did he hit Verstappen first? Did, did, did was it not front to rear wheel contact before think, he hit Rosberg? No, I don't think that, there was actually was, contact. Well, even if there wasn't contact, you could say that his movements were influenced by the the looming threat of contact. So perhaps that was a factor. I find your point interesting, Spanners, when you were saying about well, if they don't give Vettel a penalty, people will say, "Oh, well, they're just leaving the Ferrari drivers yeah. alone." I, I, I really don't have time for people who don't know how the sport is run to be mouthing off on Facebook and Twitter about things like that. Everybody says, oh, well, the FIA are inconsistent. Well, if they give out penalties where it's not warranted, that just fuels the inconsistency. That just proves the point. I'm sorry, the FIA <laughs> need to have some common sense and figure yeah. out which penalties actually do need to be given and which ones don't. And on this occasion, Vettel's already out of the race. He's taken the penalty. He's given himself one. The FIA should, certainly shouldn't be kicking him when he's down. I wasn't laughing at you. I was laughing at um, two farting pandas. Now, children, if you hear that, that's Hello? not that's not a swear word. Yeah, but people will get upset if you copy, so don't copy. Two farting pandas in the chat room says, the driver of the day is Rosberg's right rear suspension assembly. Yeah, it's, it's quite amazing that he got away completely damage-free. Luckiest yeah, man I know. in Sepang. Luckiest man in Sepang, Rosberg, for more than one reason. So he, might, he looks like he kind of got hit dead on in the sweet spot where none of his body work was affected and his suspension, you know, got hit just in the right place. Um uh fortis is telling us the fi is inconsistent good evening fortis um all hells one is saying spanners how much in donations do you need to get to get an advertisement less stream well that's a good time to say why not go to patreon and supporters it's a little bit more than we've got now but that is definitely one of our aims uh as the live stream builds is to take away the adverts on there so you can go to contact us page on spannersready.com uh, and on the Patreon details are there. You can click there. We're looking for donations of one or two dollars a month, and uh, and that will get us well on our way to many of those targets. Two farting pandas says three times. I don't quite understand that comment. Uh, there's I think it has com- to do with the contact with the Vettel and you reckon Stanton, there was maybe? more than one contact. Um, and uh, anonymous three two one is saying, I wonder how many times, how many penalties Villeneuve and Arnaud would have gotten <laughs> at Dijon. Uh, perhaps ten ten minutes each. That's uh. Yeah. It, it's funny that he brings that up. I'm sorry to interrupt, Matt uh, Spanners. Apologies. But the, uh, it's funny that he's written that because I actually read an article somewhere on somebody's blog. I, no, I can't remember who it is. I apologize because you need the credit for it because it was a fantastic article. He actually analyzed that battle from a 21st century FIA point of view. And apparently the two of them would have been given out so many penalties that at the next round of the championship at Silverstone, they probably would have ended up starting the race in Northampton because that's how many <laughs> penalties they probably would have been given. So, yeah, I, I, I just think it's got out of hand. This is a bit ridiculous. I mean, drivers getting engine penalties of 30 places, which, again, Alonso got this weekend. This is lunacy. I'm sorry, there's no other word for it. It's lunacy. Other sports are looking at things like that. 
and laughing. And I know they are because when I go into the Eurosport offices, I've got snooker commentators and American football commentators and tennis commentators beside me looking at these stories and hauling their sides with laughter. I mean, it, it is embarrassing. It is downright embarrassing. Do you think it's not helped by the fact that we have... Um, not consistent stewards and perhaps some of the stewards are brought in based on their circuit connections rather than perhaps their suitability maybe it's time for a professional stewards i completely and totally agree with that spanners yes i think it is time you know at the end of the day it's got to be the right stewards consistently every single time maybe you change the driver every time (laughs) but apart from that i do think you know genuinely we need to be at a stage of professionalism now and the fia really does need to sort that out Yeah, but the FIA can't afford that. I mean, because if you're paying the stewards, then you're assuming responsibility for them, et cetera, and so on. The stewards come from the various countries, the automobile clubs that that make up the FIA, that make up the World Motorsport Council, and they get invited from there. And that's actually one of the reasons they were aiming for to get more consistent stewarding was they added the drivers. But I think it's really become the whiting and the drivers just lead the stewards around by the nose. But there are people out there who have done this for a long time who would be available to be permanent or semi-permanent and, and would perhaps still work on a volunteer basis. But it, it needs to be sorted so the drivers know what to expect and so the yeah. fans know what to expect. And for me especially, first lap, first turn incidents, you just got to be a little more – you have to give them a little more flexibility because yeah, there's just too much going on, Ooh. especially from a standing start. Maybe got, in a rolling start, you'd be different, but from a standing start, definitely. I've got the first conspiracy theory in the chat room, which was Derek Warwick was the driver steward today. And apparently on the grid, he said that he wanted Lewis Hamilton to win, was therefore making decisions oh. that would, <laughs> that would improve his chances. Uh, no, but the, the chat room penalty, when you were talking about uh, the engine, the, the multiple penalties uh, coming up, the, the chat room conversation went like this. Fernando Alonso's next penalty will be to start the race on Monday afternoon. Uh, the next yeah. comment was from California. Then the next comment was with only three wheels. And then Gary HDX finishes it off with and a Honda engine. No, no, that's not actually a penalty. Believe no, it or not, not. That's, that, is, that was a legit decision. That, <laughs> that's they, actually in the contract. They meant that. Uh, but if it was only three wheels, wouldn't it be a Haas car? No, well, no. What you have to remember, of course, is that three wheels also includes the steering wheel. So basically, he'd only have a motor. Well, he'd have a, a motorbike with a steering wheel attached to it. Which, as we know, are witchcraft and should be banned. Yes, uh, Matt. So yes. I think we've decided we've decided whose fault it was. I like that. I like that. It it makes me feel at home and comfortable, just like my marriage. We must establish blame before moving on. But now we have, we can move on. And typically, we move on to you talking about race strategy. Well, yes, absolutely. And race strategy was the race um, because we had a race at the front between Red Bull and Mercedes in the form of Lewis Hamilton. And early on, it got very interesting when we lost Grosjean to the brake failure around lap nine. And and because they... Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to quickly divert because I've just... I've really got a bit of a sad on about Haas in general who we started off on such high hopes with, and they've just got bits falling off their car left, right, and centre. You had Grosjean last weekend. They couldn't get him going through all the practice sessions, through qualifying. You've got a brake that looked like it just... In fact, what did the commentator... What did the pit crew say? The brake broke. And then you had, you know, the wheel fall off the other Haas. Yeah, it was Grosjean over the radio, wasn't it, who said uh, the brake braked. 
I, I'm not terribly surprised. I mean, I think everybody has had this sort of fairy tale image of Haas coming in and being absolutely mega in their first year. You know, even talks of a podium at the start of the year. But let's not forget, you know, this is 21st century Formula One and they're a brand new team. You know, the very fact that they were competitive enough to be in the points in their first race was, all joking aside, a miracle. And they pulled it off beautifully. You have to give them credit for the work they've done before. There's an incredible team of people at Haas. I know a lot of them. They're really, really good, hardworking people. They've got a good chemistry. They've got good strategy for a, a first team coming into Formula One. I genuinely feel you'll still see them on the grid in three, four years, whatever happens. They're a really good, strong-knit group of people. But do you know what? In your first year, it ha- you know, stuff happens. You know, it hits the fan. And this is just their first year. We have to give them leniency. I mean, look at the other teams that are not doing as well as them. Manor are doing okay. Sauber are doing appallingly. And they have how many years' experience to fall back on? You know, yeah, that's fine. And just you, the way they... If you're talking about pace and tactics, I completely understand you. But what seems to be happening with Haas is it seems to be bread and butter mechanical processes that are letting them down. And that's a bit of a worry. Well, I, I do see where you're coming from. But again, what you have to remember is that a lot of the technical input from Haas has come out of their American wing, which doesn't really know anything about Formula One. They don't technology. know how to turn right, do they? They have got mechanics that are Formula One experienced, of course. But because a lot of their discipline and their training and their uh, mechanical know-how comes from American motorsport, I'm not saying American motorsport is worse. I actually think technically American motorsport really can hold a candle to Formula One. NASCAR in particular gets a really sore end of the deal in terms of the technology and the engineering involved. When you actually look closely, those things are really sophisticated. So to a certain degree, I see what you're saying. It is quite strange that Haas just seem to have a lot of mechanical issues. But, you know, this is a very, very different form of Formula One to anything we've seen before. The hybrid technology is really quite picky. It's quite... it's a very very different kettle of fish so a lot of the teams are struggling with it more than they're letting on and Haas being the new team they are the first new team brand new team to come in with the hybrid technology so the fact of the matter is they're doing a brilliant job considering yes things are going wrong and perhaps you could say some of those components it's a bit embarrassing that they are falling apart but credit was credit's due they've scored a lot more points than uh, you know Mana or Sauber have this year or even Renault yeah. Anybody remember uh, Kobayashi's rear suspension on Caterham? Absolutely. You remember the pictures of that? Yeah. Okay. The, we don't, we, we, as bad oh, as yeah. possible might be from time yeah, to time, yeah, we've yeah. not seen anything like that from them. Oh, I mean, the Toro Rosso in China? Kobe, no, wait, Kobayashi, he, he accused them of fixing it with duct tape. Didn't he tweet a picture of it being held he together did, with duct and tape? they did. All right, then. Okay, Haas. Okay, until we see the duct tape pictures, I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to give you a pass. But what, remember, sorry for t- Go on. Remember Buemi's both wheels coming off in China at the end of that kilometer and a half straight yeah, or whatever Ver, it is? Yeah, it was, it was Vern's Toro Rosso. He braked and two wheels fell off. Yeah. yeah I yeah, have to say... That image just makes me feel like I could be a Formula One mechanic because I swear that's how I would run a Formula One car. That was what would happen at the end of a a long straight. I would get there. The driver would say something feels wrong and then wheels would just fall off. That's that's my engineering know how. Rumors, by the way, that I was on the technical team for that particular race. I'm not true. I just want to point that out. Not true. Haas was very advantaged by having a lot of Ferrari personnel at the start of the season. Most of them have migrated at this point. And I think you're just seeing the growing pains of their new personnel trying to get on top of the parts. And also because 
they're not intimately part of the Ferrari family in yeah. that same way. They're having to understand the parts from a different perspective and in a deeper fashion than they previously had to. I think that's playing into it as well. And last, of course, is just process stuff. There, yeah. It's new for a lot of the people. Having processes that prevent these errors or something that it's just going to take them some time to work out. Yeah, spanners. Yeah, just the chat room said, and I, I'm, I am convinced that Grosjean is not going to be at Haas next season. The chat room is asking, is Grosjean trying to get a seat back with Renault for next season? People are saying they dislike Grosjean's attitude for this, and already they're saying that Haas has missed the apex this week. Grosjean, when he came out and uh, was walking past the cameras into the pit lane, was giving it a big thumbs down symbol. And as much as Gene Haas was saying, oh no, I just admire his attitude, that plucky young Frenchman, it's got to be irritating for the team when a driver is being that critical, that openly. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, f- first thing I wanted to talk about was actually something else that I've seen on the chat room, which is the comment about Haas basically being a Ferrari B team. Yes, they're getting support, but I happen to know for a fact that people suggesting that you know they are really doing badly considering the Ferrari B team, it's not actually as stronger link as people seem to think it is i was actually with ferrari last week at the passion ferrari day at silverstone and i was talking to them about this and um it's quite interesting how people seem to have assumed that haas is just the de facto junior team they don't actually talk that much you know they're not actually that closely linked i mean they give some supply parts and whatever and it's a nice deal because gene haas is friends with uh, a few people within the ferrari technical team but to be fair they are still a standalone privateer team i don't want anybody out there thinking well ferrari can just give them this and give them that they have an agreement in place but haas are doing this alone you know they are going at it on their own and to be fair that's pretty cool that's pretty good they're doing a good job Right. But I'm not going to let you get away with that because we all know that the entire rules about personnel and aero time got switched because Ferrari sent a bunch of their engineers to Haas and they took advantage of Haas not actually being a part of the grid yet to test a bunch of aero parts. And and Mercedes asked for clarification on these rules. And we got this clarification at the end of last season. So at the beginning of the season, a bunch of Ferrari personnel were still at Haas and they benefited tremendously from that. Now you're right in what you're saying. Those Mm. people have generally all left and they've Mm. moved on to other things. And I think the troubles that Haas are having now are coming about as a result of that because they don't have that same level of knowledge. They're having to build it for themselves. And they, unlike all the other teams, including the ones that are doing worse than them, they don't have the data to back it up yet they're generating that data now and this is literally what we're seeing played out in real time okay and and has is fascinating but the reason that's my fault for taking us down that cul-de-sac but actually we got there by saying that Grosjean caused that virtual safety car and that really threw stuff into the mix because Max Verstappen was doing his usual of oh I can get past I can get past I can take on Lewis Hamilton implying that the car in front of him is is just on a Sunday drive Yeah. Okay. So let's be clear about this. Once the virtual safety car came out for Vettel at the beginning, it was Ricardo who was in second place and Perez was in third and then Verstappen got in front of him. And then when we got to the virtual safety car, Red Bull took advantage of that to, because, and this is becoming a team thing now. The teams have all realized if they can pin under virtual safety car, they can 
give up track position because a regular pit stop at, at Malaysia is around 23 seconds, I think. Yep. And it, it was that you can save five or six or seven or eight seconds if you can get in and out under a virtual safety car because the field is slowed down that very, very long straight. So they did this. They put him, they put him in and out. And he was effectively at that point, once the race resumed, the leader because he was maybe 16 seconds back of Hamilton and about 11 seconds back of Ricardo, both of whom would need to stop and ditch their softs fairly soon. So what Red, Red Bull had was the best of all worlds. You had a very fast Verstappen who had very good race pace, mm. well within Hamilton's pit window, which means he would wind up with track position. And you had Ricardo that could either try and undercut Hamilton or mirror his strategy with a set of unused soft tires sitting around in case he couldn't get past him the standard old-fashioned way. So this was really an interesting place for Mercedes to be because Rosberg, having been shuffled to the back, was maybe around P11 or 12, and they brought him in for hards. But that became important too because he was on the hards and making progress through the field. They were able to gauge how long they thought they would last. So as this race continues and, and the two front runners come in, they went onto the hard tires, which everybody had to run. Yeah. And, and it became clear at first they thought they were maybe going to try and do a one-stop with Lewis. And then Rosberg's tires, I think, began to go off, and they knew they would have to pit him again. And all of a sudden, maybe around lap 30, all of a sudden, right around lap 30, just bang, fast lap bang fast lap and you could see you could see them getting very close about to about 22 seconds he had them uh when his when his engine finally cooked off so uh, yeah no that's okay i i i'm, I'm just reading something <laughs> offline as it were uh chris you you, you right back there i'm doing just fine i'm just i was having a think actually about verstappen's strategy because he came in on, what was it, lap 9 or lap 10? And I think that was roughly what we expected the soft tyre to do. But it actually ended up going a lot further into the race than we expected. Uh, nobody really knew what was going to happen with the strategy because the track had been resurfaced. Yeah. It had seen a lot of changes since uh, last year. So the tyres behaving very differently. And that's why the hard tyre actually turned out to be a good tyre as well. Um, but... Hamilton and Ricardo made up to like 18, 19, lap 20 before they needed to come in, double the length that Verstappen managed to do. So I think if there was going to be a spanner in the works for Verstappen, it was going to be that. And But tell you what, but we didn't know that when Verstappen came in and we were thinking, oh, this is shades of Barcelona. Have they done it again? And how upset is Ricardo going to be when he sees Max pop up in front of him? Yeah, well, this is the thing. Uh, on strategy, if if he could have made it work with only one more stop, I mean, because you essentially, by going short on your first stint, you're thinking you're going three stop instead of two stop. So at the end of the race, you have Ricardo chasing Hamilton on the same strategy, and you have Verstappen who can potentially run a third stop and be very fast the last 10 or so laps of the race. And this puts Mercedes in a bit of a bind because if you cover off Verstappen, you're vulnerable to Ricardo. If you cover off Ricardo, potentially you're vulnerable to Verstappen. And if you get the kind of Sochi-like tire life that we saw when they when they ran at that circuit the first time, if Verstappen didn't have to make that third stop, then he essentially had track position from lap 10. 
Now, as it worked out in, in real time, the hard tire was never going to make that work. And, and they both, uh, Ricardo and Hamilton, needed to come in. Yeah, I have to say, I, I, I agree with you there. I mean, strategically, that was probably the best race of the season in Malaysia. And I love how the track surface changes came into that. I mean, it was fascinating to hear some of the comments from the drivers pre-race about the final turn. Oh, I don't like it. It's a bit too mean a corner. I think it was it Vettel who said it's too mean a corner now. Grow up, you Formula One world champions and racing drivers. Deal with the cards that you dealt. And it made for the most entertaining race of the season at the front because for once, Red Bull were genuinely matching Mercedes on pace, on raw pace and on strategy. And let's be fair here, without Lewis being at the front dominant, I still think Lewis would have struggled to keep the Red Bulls back. He was under pressure all the way. And I actually wonder if his inevitable retirement from the race the engine failure was that in part because mercedes were actually pushing a little bit harder than they felt they were going to need to do because red bull were taking the fight to them fantastic i love the fact that red bull were able to throw their hat into the ring and really give mercedes a proper challenge and i genuinely think now that the ricardo and verstappen partnership is just about the best combo in Formula One right now. Whatever you say about Hamilton and Rosberg, whatever you say about the new teams coming in, I think Ricardo and Verstappen, pound for pound, is probably the strongest partnership in Formula One. And to date, they excelled. Uh, NASA Ericsson, excuse me. Yeah, oh, yeah, sorry. No, they are clearly the best. They are clearly the best in every single possible way. At Especially at Supermarket the Sweep. Yeah. They are definitely the best at that. Definitely. Chris. Definitely. I had, to, I had to think about Hamilton's pace, really, because... I think a lot of people would say that oh, Hamilton was cruising at the front. He was looking after his tyres. If he needed to, he could just extend the gap to the Red Bulls. But he never actually did that. When they when they saw that Verstappen who would have track position on him, did Lewis all of a sudden start banging in the, the lap times to extend the gap by a second a lap? No, he didn't. I think it, genuinely, this was the first race since maybe the first race since Monaco, where you know Mercedes genuinely have had to to fight for the front pace. Uh, so D, right. D Wilson in the chat room is saying that Hamilton was 29 seconds ahead of Max and 22 ahead of Ricardo a lap before his engine blew. Matt, do you really think he was under that much pressure? I won't read the right. ruder comment. Was Mercedes under that much pressure? Yeah, here's what happened. They, with Rosberg out early on the hard tires and through traffic, they had really good data on, on how much and how much life they, they could get out of the tires. And roundabout lap 28 or 29, I think they realized definitively that, that they could not make a one-stop work. They would be vulnerable to Ricardo strapping on the softs and taking a second, second and a half a lap out of him. It wasn't going to work. So they told him to get, to, get, to get on with the program and probably because he had a new engine. I think, Jake, you bring up an excellent point that I wish I had thought of myself and I will just go around and say now that I did. That, that Mercedes said, you've got a new engine, strat mode three give it the beans. And he yeah. did. He yeah. did. He went fast lap, fast lap, two in a row. He was over a second faster than the Red Bulls. Yeah, exactly. And even after there was a radio message, he said, my tires, they're starting to go. Even after that, he was taking three, four tenths a lap out of the pair of them. So yeah. make no mistake, in that mode, Mercedes is faster than Red Bull and significantly so. Three or four tenths a lap is a lot at that level. However, when his engine let go, subsequent to that, Rosberg was under threat for his podium because of his penalty. Yeah. And they told him flat out, you may not use strat mode three. Yeah. And then a little bit later, they said, we'll give you two 
lapse. And what kills me is Ted had Patty Lowe on camera and asked him lots of questions. But the one question he didn't ask him was, hey, Patty, what mode was Lewis in when his engine did an imitation of a campfire? Yeah, that's very interesting. And the chat room's asking, here's a question. Mercedes didn't know what happened to uh, Lewis's engine, yet they told sorry I'm getting an incoming call yet they told Rosberg to turn his engine up was that not risky now they didn't tell him to turn his engine up they he asked to turn his engine up to to the the highest mode and they said no and they only eventually said that he could is that right Matt yeah two laps they gave him and yeah that, that, that was radio broadcast and yeah Fortis I'm reading your comment we don't have all the radio messages from the teams but if you look at his lap times there's no way on hard tires he's setting fast lap fast lap unless they've given him a different strat mode yeah, I'm just going to say it correct Chris, because we weren't going to go to the Lewis, uh, the Lewis stuff quite yet. We had a few more bits to go, but where were you going, Chris? Well, I, I was going to take it further down the Lewis road. Uh, but if you want to save it for later, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, well, let, let's go back because what did happen right before he cooked his engine, or his engine was cooked? Let's let's put it that way so people don't accuse us of bias here. Was that Verstappen uh, caught up to Ricardo? And we saw, I do believe, the best racing outside of Ricardo and Hamilton and Monaco that we have seen all season long. One turn, two turns, three turns, four turns, back and forth. And I'll hand you some Malaysia and Tilka who designed the surrogate. Man, that is a great complex to see people go at it. And, and Ricardo's defense right there wound up winning him the race. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, just about the best on-track battle. I'm going to go and say it. I will say it's the best on-track battle all season. Uh, yeah, okay, it lasted three corners. And there have been some battles out there that have gone on a little bit longer. But in terms of the implications for the race, in terms of the hierarchy of the Red Bull team, Ricardo asserting himself against this young 18-year-old whippersnapper, Mark, Max Verstappen, <laughs> who everybody's saying, if you can't beat Max, then what kind of a driver are you? To me... Daniel Ricciardo has always been impressive. I've been waiting for him to be world-class. He's getting to that point, in my opinion. Today, he showed me world-class. I genuinely now think Daniel Ricciardo is a competitor for one of the best drivers in the world, let alone Formula One. Today, he proved it. He didn't have to take the risks he took today, but he realized that you never know what can happen. What if something happens and I've got an opportunity to win it. He was not going to be shown a, a pair of cards from Max Verstappen because at that point it would have been very easy for him to let Max go because the different strategies they were on, Max was actually quicker and that cost Max the chance to win. But Daniel Ricciardo had a victory that he could line up there if he managed to hold his place and fair play to Dan Ricciardo. He was on fire today. I was so wowed by what he did for oh, me. Calm down, Chris. Get in. Lewis Chris. was on fire today. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Ricardo yeah. finished the race. Hey, for and- me, Daniel Ricardo was the best driver on the track, without question. Magnussen was on fire from the beginning. You guys are True. wrong, Chris Stevens. You you have to wonder at what point when you are going side by side with your teammate, do you think I am going to turn into this 130 mile an hour corner? And leave just just a car's width, just about a car's width, and it just so happens that that other car is my teammate. At what, <laughs> how do you how do you even process that? And it's there was so that moment. Cool. It was that moment going into turn seven as well, where Ricardo just sort of tips it in, and he must yeah. have closed his eyes at some point because I don't think I've ever. I, okay, I 
try and make that move on racing games a lot and it doesn't work out for me no. i'm not gonna lie um but, but it's 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 odd to see like the outside line i don't know it, maybe it's probably the nature of the corner because it's a bit of a sweeper that you know you can you can carry good speed around there and even though verstappen still had sort of a nose in there very close stuff absolute top top stuff and that wasn't yeah. just you know for eventually the lead of the race it was for who is the number one in this team who, yeah, who is calling the shots and neither one of them wanted to give a, an, an inch and i love that and you're absolutely right jay it makes them just the best pairing on the grid right now and they're both now world class in my opinion I mean, they've both had a lot of hype around them and everybody has said, oh, maybe they could win a world championship one day. And there have been doubters today. If you doubted any of them, if you doubt any of those drivers abilities, uh, either Daniel or Max, you're a lunatic. They are both world class. They are both world championship winning material. And Red Bull is the luckiest team on the grid to have them both. They were free to race right up until the end as well. You've got to love Christian Horner, haven't you? (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. It was very different to maybe what it was, you know, five years ago or so. But right up until the finish, they were allowed to race. It's just a shame we didn't get that intenseness in that final stint. You're getting a wag of the finger because they weren't really allowed to race. And and this is is why. Now, they were free to race. There was no multi-33 or whatever given. Free-33. You're you're absolutely right about that. But what did happen under the virtual safety car that arose as a result of Lewis' extreme misfortune was that Red Bull stacked the cars and pitted them back to back with 16 laps to go for fresh, soft tires. And that cost Max the win. And it caught, well, it it potentially cost him the win because he didn't really need to pit again because his pit cycle was offset to Ricardo's. But by pitting them both, they essentially said to Ricardo, okay, get out there. As long as you don't screw it up, the victory is yours. And yeah. that really made the last 15 laps of the race just really kind of dull in comparison to the first 40 or so laps. And it was a bit of a shame. I was really looking forward to seeing how all those brilliant strategy battles played out. And, and in, in essence, the virtual safety car kind of neutralized it because everyone has learned to get to the pits if they possibly can. But yeah, see, that was the thing. P- pitting them, pitting both of them, it, it neutralized both of them. And the thing, if, you, if you're, if you're going to bring Max in again, you know, regardless of whether he needs to or not, you've got to do it on that same lap. Because like you said, if you wait a lap longer, then the advantage you get by pitting under the virtual safety car could be gone. And you'll end up costing Max, you know, five, six, seven, eight seconds. So, and, and, and also, do they do they want to, you know, pit Ricardo, put him behind Verstappen, and then not have that strategy work out and have him, you know, a, a, again, a, a third race taken away from him because of a Red Bull error? Which is why I say, even though they didn't give team orders, basically by pitting them both, they gave team orders. Verstappen was, and yeah. Ricardo on equal tires was not going to happen in modern formula one but it had they they had to do it from a team point of view to say what's the safest way to get our two cars on onto the podium and that was let's take the opportunity to get fresh tires on because we have uh, it seemed pointless to go well for the sake of letting them fight let's keep them out on longer tires that will probably be okay till the end of the race so i, I don't judge them for that but obviously it did take the sting out of the battle. But hey, it's everyone's wish, wasn't it? We got a, a, a battle 
for the race win. We just didn't know at the time that it was going to be a battle for a race race win. Um, but I wouldn't mind quickly saying to you guys, like, did you think that that was a classic F1 race? Because between, say, laps 21 and laps 40, there was a lot of comments on Twitter. I got some personal comments. We got some comments in our group saying that the race was boring them. Um, but to me, it felt like a classic F1 race. So Matt, was that frustration at me or, or at the comments? No, I, I'm just, I'm astounded. And I, and I feel that, that the commentators that these people were watching must have just done a poor job. Because, you know, I basically write the race as it happens. My race review is 90% done when the race is over. And I was immediately aware of the strategy implications as soon as we started to see the pits happening around lap 10. I feel like any, any viewer who was aware and thinking in those terms could not have been bored by watching by watching the times go back and forth like that because it was all building up to what was going to happen after the last pit stop cycle. Yeah, Chris. I think I have to agree with you because, I mean, there may have been sort of like... 10 laps or so. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Where it turned into a bit of a procession, but it certainly wasn't dull. You know, they, it kept me entertained. And, you know, even in the sort of laps uh, you know, around that, we saw the, 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 the strategies unfolding, cars coming back through the field from their pit stops. And you throw in Rosberg coming back through the field and Alonso charging up uh, as well. I don't think that was a boring race at all. And when you say classic race, I certainly think it's going to be one that's remembered in terms of how important it was in terms of the championship. Okay, yeah, let's Jake. At- would, if you if you look at the debate, I mean, it was asked whether it's a classic F1 race or not. Races that are determined as classic races include Hungary 1998, which was Michael Schumacher driving qualifying laps for three stints to try and outpace the McLarens on an extra pit stop. Pound for pound, that's not an exciting motor race, but it's called a classic. Uh, Spain 2001, where the only exciting thing that actually happened was Hakkinen blowing up on the last lap, giving Schumacher a win. That is still dubbed a classic race. 
that Grand Prix, the Malaysian Grand Prix of 2016, had enough within it from the start to the finish for me to make it out and out one of the best Formula One races of the 21st century. I genuinely think there was enough intrigue. I mean, even with Hamilton being out in front because of the reliability, I still had this thing at the back of my head. It's Malaysia. You know, this is a very different Sepang yeah. circuit compared to what we're used to. Mercedes cannot afford to get into a, a position of complacency. And we were proven right. You know, the car was pushed too hard. The Mercedes went. We had that fantastic battle with Ricardo and Verstappen. We had uh, Rosberg getting a penalty, which I'm hoping we're going to talk about in a little bit, if there's time to. And that, again, that's that was an interesting moment in the race for me and one that's very contentious. And yeah. there are arguments on both sides for that as well, whether he deserved one or not. You had the battles in the midfield. You had the fact that you had Alonso coming through from the back to P7 in a McLaren that genuinely looks like it's getting to be a good McLaren again. That's a big turning point for them. You had Ocon going from 20th to 10th on the first lap of the race. And again, we get we get to see what this guy's capable of. If you can't call the Malaysia 2016 race interesting, if you can't call that race entertaining, you shouldn't be watching Formula One. I'm sorry. There was enough in that race yeah, and to make that one of the best races I've seen for a long time. There's an inherent sort of thing of do people want Formula One to be Formula One or are they looking for it to be something else? I've, all, I've always yeah, found exactly. that you settle yeah. down for your Sunday session. You get pumped up. The start kicks off. There's there's that slight sort of lottery effect of the start. The first lap goes off and then everything settles down. Teams take stock of what's happened at the start. They start mapping out their strategies. That's yeah. not the point that they start attacking each other. It's not dirt biking. It's not MotoGP. We're going exactly. to swap laps. What, what, what exactly. do you want? You know, and, and it, there's, there's a lot more of a test cricket feel to it. And then what you hope is that those tactics either coalesce towards the end of the race to give you your race result. And that's what all the teams are looking at. If you remember 2014, Mercedes did it between their two cars. They split the strategies and in the final stint, they would come back together or you want a safety car, or you want something like that. But I think that's just the nature of Formula One. I see. I mean, everybody seems to think that if the race isn't Canada 2011, it's boring. Come on, wake up. You only get races like that once in a blue moon. If you're a true Formula One fan, you accept Formula One for what it is. I mean, all through the 80s, 90s, 2000s, we've had races of the same sort of standard that we have all season in so many different, you know, yeah. genres and shapes. Okay, you know, Formula One is a performance engine. It is who's got the best equipment, who's got the most money to spend at it, and who's getting it right. The fact that Mercedes is getting it right is not something you can criticize Formula One for, other than the fact that the rules play into Mercedes' hands. The way that in the early part of 2000s, it played into Ferrari's hands, it's played into Williams's hands before. It's Formula One, what the, more do you want? The thing that's annoyed me the most in recent years is the back end of the 2013 season. If you ignore Sebastian Vettel, that was some of the most exciting racing. You had, Absolutely You had right. Nico Hülkenberg was really sort of... That, that, I reckon that was his peak. Sorry, Nico Hülkenberg fans. But yeah. him, him and Lewis Hamilton were pushing hard. There was racing up and down the track. But because Sebastian Vettel was out in the front on his own, people were complaining. So, Agreed. you know, so you, you, it's like test cricket. Sometimes you're going to get a batting track. You know where where where, but what we don't want to do is turning into some rocky. Uh, the cricket analogies might lose some people, but you don't want it to turn into like a freakish occasion where just random things are happening. You know, when when it's a batting track, the batsmen can can play their cricket, and and it's up to people to to make the best of those scenarios. Okay, yeah. guys, we can't go too much further, I'm afraid, oh. without going without going to the biggest thing that happened in the race, and as an F1. Uh, Lewis Hamilton fan I was crying 
So lap 42, I believe it was, hearts broke up and down the England and, and, and all true British Formula One fans were upset as uh, British hero Lewis Hamilton uh, popped out of the race. And you could hear the raw emotion, couldn't you, screaming out of him, Chris. Like that wasn't a, hey guys, my engine is broken, That's a, there's a problem. It was a, oh no, no. And you could just, you could hear the pain coming through from the radio call. You, you cannot blame him one bit. He no. had been in command, pretty much, of that race. The whole weekend, the, the pace he'd set in practice, easy pole position, and he had led pretty much every lap until that point as well. And it's, it's, it's a major impact in his championship as well now because he's 23 points behind Rosberg with five races to go. Still doable, but it's a setback. So you can't blame him for one bit. To me, it was shades of his last year at McLaren. Oh, man. oh 2012 yeah. like yeah. oh just like the car would just stop it would look so good and that was when Vettel was really really on it and the car would just like, he would get him and you'd be like yeah what are and then bang yeah yeah the car would just say <laughs> and, and I have to say that there is an element of the chat room the, the uh, what we affectionately call the ham which I like to be an honorary member of that are really taking issue guys with you with the sort of implication that somehow Lewis did something wrong by pushing his engine too hard or that he was in the wrong engine mode you want to defend yourself Matt yeah I do because uh, it's not Lewis pushing the engine too hard we saw very clearly Mercedes tell Rosberg you may not use this strat mode only use this strat mode here if he was doing it on track the technical part of Mercedes told him it was okay to do. What I think we are seeing and what I think Jake correctly identified is, is that Renault have now caught up, which is hello historical. They did the same thing in a V8 era to the point where Mercedes are having to take risks with their engine and with their horsepower output, which we've heard is up over four digits now in qualifying mode. And it's starting to put these ancillary parts at more risk because they're being run harder. And the harder you run an engine, the likelier it is to break. So, no, I don't think Hamilton did anything wrong at all. He was driving a brilliant race. And they were not going to be able to touch him. What couldn't take it was the engine itself. Well, look, they're also pointing out, Matt, that you seem really, really keen to say that he was in a high engine mode. And that's not necessarily the case, they're pointing out, because Lewis was about half a second a lap quicker all weekend. So they're saying maybe he could have pulled that pace out without going to the higher engine mode. But I I, want to make clear, I really don't think you're in any way blaming Lewis Hamilton. Jake, sorry, you were trying to get in. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I think people seem to be of the opinion that Mercedes haven't been caught by Renault and that this is still Mercedes dominant. There's no way they would have lost that race if Hamilton's engine went pop. I genuinely, I'm not, I'm not trying to force my opinion on other people, but having spoken to the teams that I've spoken to of late and having, you know, I, I have some nice spies in a couple of the Formula One teams at the front. There is a genuine acceptance now in the Formula One paddock that Ferrari uh, are not gaining ground on Mercedes and probably won't until midway next year. Red Bull and Renault are hot on their heels. It is genuinely getting closer now. And I think the reason that Mercedes were caught out today uh, with Lewis, the engine go pot, I do genuinely believe that there is a a link to the risks that they had to take to keep Red Bull at bay. And people have been saying for a while, you know, eventually Mercedes crown will topple. Eventually everybody will catch them up. 
Okay. Uh, we'll I go think to... Mercedes were not ready to accept that that's possible, and I think it's going to happen now. I think it's happened. I absolutely agree that you know Mercedes aren't necessarily the top dog that they were this time last year in 2014. Look at who's got the best turbo, Renault. Who's got the best ERS deployment, Honda. Renault. Oh, Honda. Yeah. Uh, Honda. The teams. Ha, shut the up, other Jake. Teams, the other teams say Honda. This is the really interesting thing. The weak spot of last year's engine. It's funny how that comes around, but um, and I, it comes back to you know being in the wrong engine mode. What was the part that failed on Hamilton's car today? The most fundamental part of any motor car: internal combustion. That was the part that went wrong. It's very different to say the issues that Hamilton had earlier on in the season in uh, Russia and China, where the MGUH failed, and we actually had a theory. Summers had the theory. Um, that it was to do with Hamilton's braking. This is completely separate from that. Okay, well, okay, let's make the case then, because a lot of people are very upset by the frequency and just the number, the sheer number of Hamilton failures. Somebody pointed this out to, to me t- today. It was my good friend, Lewis, said to me that, you know what, sometimes racing is just cruel and motorsport is a cruel world. Just ask Danny Pedrosa. Okay, well, that's fine. Okay, so let's lay out the case then, because I don't think that the people who are saying, hey, there's something wrong here. Now, I want to put this, make this absolutely clear. I I don't entertain sabotage at all. For me, sabotage is 100% off the table. I just don't buy it. And it would take a lot of evidence. We know evidence, right, to persuade me otherwise. But we've got to go through the case. And I've, I've got to tell you why I've got sympathy for people who are just finding frustration. Let's go for this. Gearbox change in China. ERS failure in China, grid penalty in China, hit on lap one uh, with a damaged wing. Yeah, okay, well, that's not hit by Bottas in Bahrain. ERS failure in Russia, engine mode mode issue in Baku, grid penalties at Spa, hydraulic issue in Singapore, engine failure in Malaysia. And I'll add to that list uh, the Monaco qualifying. He definitely had uh, an extra issue that Rosberg didn't have. And I'm sure Mercedes said his Monza issue was a clutch so this this is a very long list. It's it's an extraordinary list. Yeah, there 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 are two drivers in the world of Formula One that I want to talk about in the in it's in there's a history of Formula One in terms of luck that maybe kind of puts the Lewis Hamilton thing in perspective. Uh, and those two drivers are Sterling Moss and Jean Alesi. You know, two drivers who in the history of Formula One should have been, in my opinion, multiple world champions, both of them. Uh, but luck is one of the biggest factors in Formula One that people don't really seem to take a lot of uh, pri- take a lot of priority in until it goes the wrong way of the driver they're supporting or looking at. And anybody, I'm not kidding, anybody who seems to think that there is a conspiracy theory of some kind against Lewis Hamilton in the world of Formula One needs to stop daydreaming. It is not happening. There is no conspiracy against any driver in Formula One in terms of reliability. Why would Mercedes gain anything from one of their cars breaking down on the numerous occasions? Well, that's interesting you say that, Jake. What on earth is the benefit for them? There isn't a benefit from having one of their cars broken down at the side of the track. It's lunacy. Okay, but there's eight Mercedes engines and only Lewis Hamilton is having problems. There's eight Mercedes engines on the track and it's just Lewis Hamilton. I was gonna, it's interesting you mentioned that. I would like to add Gilles Villeneuve to that list of people who should be world champions correct. as well. Yeah, correct. Um, can, I, can I just make the case of Michael Schumacher in 2012 when it, just every single race something bizarre happened to him? Yeah. He had that odd failure in Australia, DRS failure in Canada. And can I, can I just ask about the, the, the list that you read out 
spanners. You had the, the the Monaco one. You added your you're very right, but both cars did actually have an issue. In it affected Hamilton more because of the timing yeah, of it. He it, couldn't get out of the pit yeah, lane, and he only had one run. He'd already gone out. That was why he'd already gone out into the pit lane. Rosberg was yeah. still in the garage, and that's just you know that, that just unlucky. Luck of the draw. That's luck of the draw. Um, what was the uh, what was the other one? The Azerbaijan one. Baku, yeah. I don't think we need to go back into this one. Yeah, but both cars had no, 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 no. That, that, that was completely different. That that was bad luck in that both cars had the same issue, but yeah. Rosberg had to had a reference point to go back to, and Hamilton didn't. So that that's fine, just, but that's still I'm bad just luck. Trying to eliminate yeah. the, the the ones that are you know purely you know a proper Mercedes issue, mm. and the ones that are unique to Lewis. Yeah, and you, as, you as, uh, on the surface. And the link I was going to make about the Jean Lacy connection was that. 99 times out of 100 in Formula One, when Jean Alesi was at Ferrari for that five-year stint, 99 times out of 100, the car that would break down would be Jean's. And he would almost certainly be either leading or in second or in third. I mean, he could easily have challenged for the 1995 Formula One championship, along with Schumacher and Hill. If you actually look at how many races and how many points he lost due to silly little technical things, and it was always him getting the raw deal, not Berger. That so, is an enduring memory from my childhood: is Alacy's car blowing up. Matt, you've been trying yeah. to get in for a while. Yeah, well, if we're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about it in in a sensible fashion, it's either something Mercedes has yet to figure out to do with the car and Lewis and the way he's driving it, which is not to say that it's Lewis fault at all. He's not going to put it in an engine mode that he's forbidden to. He's not going to do anything that he's not allowed to with that car. And I'm sure that's probably written into multiple layers of his contract at this point. After all the fun that we had last year, when the engineers and drivers went, went at it properly in in Barcelona at the beginning of the year before they forbid them to, use dueling engine modes to get past each other. So it, it's either, either, either there's something going on there that they have not been able to pick up or possibly, uh, as we've also seen, it's a third-party supplier and, and delivering parts that aren't up to spec and it's just which one gets dragged off of the shelf. Or it's just down to, I mean, as Jake says, luck or, or just numbers. It is not impossible to see this kind of failure in a single set of engines. And I know everybody wants to compare all eight engines, but I don't feel like it's exactly the same because I don't think the customer engines, they have to ask Mercedes to access certain modes. And I don't think they get to use the engines in the same way. So I don't think it's a fair comparison. But I'll tell you what was interesting is they interviewed Patty Lowe. And I complained about Ted not asking him yeah, you about did. the engine modes. But boy, when he brought up the failures of all being on Lewis engine and not any of the others out there, I have to say Mr. Lowe looked suddenly very, very anxious indeed. And I think Mercedes is utterly as perplexed as to we as we are as to why this is happening right now. And that alone argues that it's not something that Lewis is doing and it's not something Mercedes is doing to Lewis. It's some other thing that they cannot figure out. And it's it, it's a real issue for them because he is their money driver. Anyway, uh, okay, go on. Well, I'll just say that the chat room, Jake, is just calling you out and just saying 10 years ago, the reliability isn't what it is today. And that's fair. I remember it yeah. was so much of a feature engine blowouts that they were part of a computer game where you would randomly get blowouts. Yeah. 
What's yeah, it, but, it, but come on, the stock market isn't what it was 30 or 40 exactly. years ago. Yeah, exactly. What, what you were looking at in terms of reliability in Formula One right now is an utter outlier to the whole history of the support, uh, the whole history of the sport. If it continues to be like this, then yes, so be it. You have a point. But right now we're in an outlier. And what you're really seeing is what we would call regression to the mean, I would think. Yeah, okay. the last two things. The last two things I want to say about the Lewis Hamilton thing. The first of those is that uh, everybody's saying, "Well, these are the only engines that are going wrong." There are two points to make about that. One of which is that yes, all the Mercedes engines are the same, but come on, think about it. No two engines in Formula One made by the same person are exactly the same in the very same way that you will never ever get two snowflakes that are the same. The same way you'll never get two chocolate bars that are the same because of the way you know it's it's impossible. You brought it round to identical they will not be identical so that just get that idea out of your mind it's impossible to make two engines two cars exactly the same way it is impossible in my opinion secondly you know there is a billion to one chance of various different things happening and yet they still happen you know it's more likely for people to get struck by lightning than it is to win the lottery the people mm. still win the lottery it's very very unlikely that every single mercedes engine on the grid to fail or any mechanical problems to befall will all happen to lewis hamilton but the okay. very fact that there's a chance it can happen proves that it has so what you're, you're what you're talking about is the lottery logical fallacy and the fallacy is what you're saying well what, what what's the chances of me winning the lottery and they're very, very low. But what's the chances of somebody winning the lottery? Well, that's almost inevitable. So when you talk about runs of luck and what Matt was talking about it being an, an outlier is saying that it would be more of a coincidence if somebody didn't have a run of bad luck that Lewis Hamilton is having now because runs of bad luck are inherent, uh, as anyone who spent too much time playing roulette in Amsterdam has learnt. I don't know who we're talking about here, but runs of bad luck like that, like getting eight or nine reds, eight or nine blacks, are inevitable. It would be more of a talking point if this kind of thing never happened. And at the moment, it's Lewis Hamilton going through it. And yes, he's had bad luck in the past, but this is his, what, ninth, tenth season. And yeah. this time, it's him having that run of bad luck, Matt. Absolutely, okay, so I here agree. you are. You're at you're, you're you're at the roulette tables, and you see table one has has nineteen black in a row, and table two has three black, three red, two black, mm. a red, a black, a red, a black. Which one is more late? Is which one do you bet on? Well, it doesn't matter because <laughs> yeah, because the, yeah. because no matter no matter their previous run, it's a fifty fifty proposition exactly. at exactly. either table, and that's what we're that's what we're talking about when we talk about gambler's fallacy yeah. and stuff like that. Is each event is its own unique thing? You can't really put them into a series like that and assign an overall probability. So what people were kind of saying is, well, Lewis Hamilton's had all the bad luck leading up to this race, therefore it's bound to be Nico Rosberg's turn to suffer that bad luck. But that's that's not relevant at all because, it's, it again, it's, like just, it's just another coin flip. Um, yeah, so, I mean, as much as I feel for it, and in the, in the media there are people who you normally think are very logical people now starting to just reach for the tinfoil and just start twisting it into a nice hat shape. Well, but let's be clear. But let's be clear. It's only tinfoil if it's truly random. If there's something Mercedes hasn't figured out, and I think that's what they're scared of. They are really scared that they have missed something big, mm -hmm. and they don't know how to find it. Well, it could be. And I think yeah, they're right. I mean, they're, they're right to be, mm -hmm. and it is a mm -hmm. possibility that that's 
that's kind of what's going on here. Definitely. And definitely, there is a chance that it's, say, down to one individual's incompetence. There's a chance that his team is in his side of the garage is inherently less good. But we haven't seen any evidence of that. There is a very, very outside chance. I don't think so. But people are saying that it would be sabotage. But you would need very, very good evidence to suggest that. What people are, are saying that is wrong is that the run of luck he's having is outside of the norms. But no, that's just that's just not how statistic works. This run of statistics is perfectly within the nature of randomness. That's all I wanted to say about that, just because more and more people were starting to call it a conspiracy. Right. Well, I, I, I'm in the chat room, and I think D. Wilson is disagreeing with you. He's saying this is mechanics, not gambling. This is why it's a false equivalency. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's fine. It is not ruler. I do understand that. But when you talk about luck, you talk about luck, you talk about the Monzo, Monza pit lane. Lewis Hamilton had that issue because he went out first, so he got it, and Rosberg was in the garage, so he didn't have it. Well, that's just dumb luck. So what are the chances of that happening to one car and the other? That's 50-50. That's the same as roulette. That's the same as between black and red. Yeah, well, the perfect rejoinder comes from three farting pandas, not two. (laughs) It's too entropic of a system to lay the issue on pure mechanics. Well, hang on a minute, because let's say you've got two different Ford Galaxies out on the road. One of them develops a fault that the other one doesn't, but they both came off the showroom at exactly the same time. Yeah. Made by the same people in the same place with the same equipment. So it's 50-50 so, down to which per owner ended up getting yeah. that car. That, that's what we're this talking is, about. This, is, this yeah. is scientific car engineering. You can't make two things the same. Some components are going to go wrong. And over the law, you know, the percentages tell you that eventually the same things are going to go wrong at the same time. If you put in that, there's that theory, isn't there? You put an infinite number of monkeys in a in a room with typewriters, eventually they're going to turn out Shakespeare. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but the possibility is still there. It's a chance. It's a very high one, but it's there. Okay, so I have to say that whilst I see all the logic of what we've been saying about statistics, there is a screaming part of me that is a Lewis Hamilton fan that's just going, it can't be, it can't be. I know. This must have just, it, it must have stopped now, but of course at the next race at Suzuka... The, the damn statistics reset once again, and it's 50-50 for any potential problem. Yeah. Well, I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan as well, but I was also a Jean Alesi fan. I was also a Nigel Mansell fan. You know, surely he can't have his engine, his uh, tyre blowing up in Adelaide in 86. Surely he can't have the championship taken away from him from something so trivial when you've done all that hard work. F1 is if spelt backwards, you know, it, it, and it's a big if, you know, luck is something that makes sport so watchable. Or enough. Uh, but look, let's go on. Some other <laughs> things did, some other things did happen and not just. All right, I'll confess that was just the first button I found. But some other interesting things did happen. Massa had a miserable, miserable day. Uh, first of all, he struggled to get off the, off the line and then he had a puncher. The F1 gods are telling him it's time. Uh, McLaren looked like a racing car again for the first time, didn't they, Matt? Yeah, well, I will just point out that both McLarens finished and both Mercedes did not. Very good point. Very good point. Honda goes a boom, boom, boom. And all the Honda (laughs) guys are looking quite smart. We told you so. And and 22 to 7 for Alonso, as you mentioned earlier, Jake. Fantastic. Yeah, I had so many people at the start of the year when I said McLaren will come good and they'll be regularly scoring points by the end of the year. People were calling me an idiot. Thank you. Why oh, no. that arrogance off your face right now? It's that's, very nice to be proved. 
Right. That's because of your hair, Jake. That wasn't anything to do with the... No, very no. good point. Yeah, it is yeah. to do with my hair. It is being cut tomorrow, okay? I'm just going to put that up. And some good news for British fans, which is, Jake, on Pitboard, you were talking about the worst F1 driver we have on the grid at the moment, and Palmer kept coming up time and time again in those conversations, even with the Facebook comments and the chat room comments. And I felt it was harsh, but he, it's difficult to defend him because he's just not quite got the results. Uh, Hungry was a big, big miss when it was basically his error that lost him 10th place. But due to attrition, he's finally got that point today. Does that do anything to to dispel his detractors? I'm glad you asked that because somebody in the chat, I, I forget who it was, it was a while ago, sorry, but somebody did write, you know, is 10th place enough to save Palmer? Mm. I don't I don't think it is. And I don't think that's to do with Jolly and Palmer. No. I think that's to do with the fact that this is Renault, a works Renault team. And I was thinking about this after the conversation we had on Pitboard on Thursday and thinking, you know, is Johnny and Palmer the worst driver in Formula One? And I kind of think he is. But the reason I think that is not because Johnny and Palmer is a bad racing driver. I think his style doesn't suit the current Formula One regulations. I think if he were to turn around and go and call Porsche or Audi, for the World Endurance Championship, he would be an incredible pair of hands to pick up the Alan McNish mantle. I think if he were to go over to the States and try and get into one of the IndyCar teams, I think he'd go very well there. I just don't think he suits the Formula One regulations the way they currently are, in the same way that a lot of smooth drivers don't. I mean, look at Massa. Massa was brilliant when the regulations suited him these mm. last two, three years. I think he's been subpar compared to what he's what he's really capable of. I've never really seen him in world-class superstar mode in the last two or three years. Yeah, he's had a Williams, which is a good car. But him personally, I'm not really seeing it. And I'm kind of seeing that with Palmer. I just don't think he suits the current regs. Chris? Palmer definitely has drawn the, the short straw in having that Renault this yeah. year. And also in having K-Mag as a teammate. Very formidable teammate. But you'd have to say, um, you know, the, the, the big score for Renault was in Russia. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a long way... It was only into that race that, you know, Magnussen's position became um, apparent. There was another good opportunity at Spa, you'd have to say, and um, things didn't transpire there because of strategy and, like you said, the hungry issue. But, yeah, yeah, he's had a lot of near misses. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, Palmer isn't up to scratch, into, you know, with, with K-Mag. K-Mag seat isn't secure at all no. for next year either. So you you gotta you gotta ask what would a Renault want out of their their drivers? Does Palmer provide that? Maybe not. Right. Well, there's two things that Palmer can bring. One is skill. The other is money. Mm. And the same is true of Magnussen for Renault because I don't know that they they're getting the budget from Nissan that other manufacturer teams are getting. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. And. I and they also have had, you know, as have Sauer, I think some issues with technical staff that have really hurt their campaign this year. But here's what I know about Palmer is that he is a driver that is slow to develop in at a new level. And yeah. I what I remember about him is in his very first race in Melbourne, he had this amazing duel. And I, I had really written him off as a pay driver entirely, but he really impressed me with that. And then I was so disappointed with his subsequent performance because he would show shades of brilliance, but you just think the consistency's not there. And even, even in qualifying yesterday, you're like, oh, oh, he was so close. He had the, he had a really and, good and he fluffed time it. going on. 
And yeah. then he locked yeah. up into turn 15 and, you know, yeah. out the window it goes. And then today he goes from P19 to P10. I think it's good. And there's a drive you can hang your hat on a little yeah. bit. I think he's going to take something special in these last five races to save him. Uh, so, yeah, I, as much as we Is it want- enough? You don't know. But, and, but, you know, as but, Brits were yeah. willing him on. But obviously, but no, I, I can't see any other result than him out of F1 um, next season. So, guys, we're going to move on to the podium. The last thing I quickly wanted to get your opinions on was the Rosberg penalty. And now, it was it was a stunning move, in my opinion, an absolutely stunning move. But then on the replay, suddenly you go, well, it's a stunning move, but he's kind of understeered in and taken a bit of bodywork off the car. So where do you guys land? I'm genuinely torn. In any case, I don't think there should have been a penalty. I think he deserved the penalty. The punishment fit the crime. It didn't cost him a place. Job done. It's over. And that's happened a fair few times, hasn't it, to Rosberg? Yeah, similar similar to that. I mean, what else is there to say? He used Raikkonen as a break. He wouldn't have made the corner without (laughs) him. Yeah. Uh, He got a 10-second time penalty. He did the hard work to pull out the gap to make sure it didn't cost him anything. Chris? That's fine. What do you think? What do you think, Chris? I kind of agree with Jake. He definitely went into that corner knowing that he was going to make contact with Raikkonen. What I think has ended up happening, though, is that it's it's almost become a stereotype that the FIA will hand out a penalty very harshly and it's discouraging racing. And I I think it's getting to that point, though, that, you know, they, they hand out a penalty fairly, but everybody just assumes that it's a harsh penalty. Like when Kanamasas and Peak crashed in the GP2 in Monza, everybody straight away blamed Kanamasas, even because he's got a reputation even though it was not his fault at all. So yeah, I, think that's I agree. Maybe, that's maybe kind of what's happening here. I, I can't agree with Jake, the, the punishment for the crime. Right. It's important to note that the rules of raising prohibit causing collisions. And pretty much, more or less entirely, Rosberg caused a collision. Now, if we're going to be fair about it in the way that you want to be fair about it, he he actually came from very far back. I don't think Raikkonen expected him to be there. If he was really going to be there, he might have tried to leave a little bit more room. But at the end of the day, he was the one making the move. There was a collision. It was his fault. Therefore, he gets a penalty. Well, it's just it's, there's not there's not a lot of room in the regulations to ignore that. If it had been lap one, maybe you'd give him a little more flexibility on that. But you know. What I think annoys me is that we seem to be punishing not the action, but the consequence. So, for example, Jules Bianchi comes up the inside of Kobayashi, bashes both his wheels twice, and because it's wheel-on-wheel contact, there's no penalty, and it's a genius. It's a great move. But Rosberg does a very, very similar kind of jumping up the inside move, and because he takes out a bit of the front wing instead of the wheel, then then we'll punish the consequence. Chris, let's let, you have the last word, and then we'll hit the podium music. I just want to say, I think it was a very unnecessary risk for Rosberg as well. Here he is making a, a really, really great recovery drive to, to save his championship. Because when you're in that position where, you know, you've got a dominant car and it's one of two teammates who are going to win, win the championship. It's those sort of races that make the difference in the championship. And Rosberg had that opportunity today. And he almost threw it away with this, this silly maneuver into turn two. And... Having kept it very clean before then. So I think it was a, a big, unnecessary risk for Rosberg to make that move in the first place. All right, let's move on to the podium and find out who you think did what best.
And enjoying the sweet podium music this week was Daniel Ricardo, his very humble and polite teammate Max Verstappen, and the very somewhat relieved Nico Rosberg. All, of course, did the classic shoey, uh, which, by the way, is freaking gross. Stop doing that. It's had its 15 seconds of fame. Can we just let's respect the boundaries of foot hygiene from here on in. I want to find out from you guys who you thought was the thing and what's it. Of the weekend, we've already had one suggestion from the chat room that it was Rosberg's rear suspension for withstanding the turn one collision with Sebastian Vettel. Chris Stevens, who was your thing of the weekend? What was your thing of the weekend? And Christian chat- Horner for not getting on the blower to his drivers and telling them to hold station. That was the, the best decision anybody made all weekend. Yeah, it's a good call. It's a good call. And thankfully he did. But would he be the same next season if they're challenging for the title? Mm, Red Bull have got previous, haven't they? Yes, they have. Just a, just a, just bit. a bit. Just a bit. In Malaysia. Just a hint of it. Jake Sanson, who was your thing of the weekend? What was your thing of the weekend? It's a difficult one because there's so many different aspects of the weekend that were intriguing. I'm going to say the best thing of the weekend was the McLaren upgrade. Because as far as I'm concerned, you know, so many people have criticized McLaren in the last 18 months. So many people have said they can't make a Formula One car anymore. Everyone who's had that opinion, shut up. They have just come back and had an amazing transforming fortunes. And they ain't even done yet, guys. That's about 25% of what they're capable of. They are coming back strong. 2018. I guarantee you they'll be fighting for victories and possibly even the championship. Cool, I can't help but feel that's damning with faint praise. It's like, oh, you detractors of McLaren, but you see, in just a few years' time, they might do okay. And can I can I uh, also point out that, yes, I agree with you, the shoe thing is gross, and Jack Miller of MotoGP, it's all your fault. Admit it and fess up. Matt Trumpets, uh, the thing of the what's it. The thing of the what's it? Well, if I was to be serious, I would say there was only thing of a what's it, and that had to be the uh, Ricardo Verstappen battle. But I don't, I don't think that's really it. I think the thing of the weekend was when Mark Webber grabbed Ricardo's shoe and chucked it into the <laughs> audience. Yes, yes. And do you know who agrees with you in the Thank chat room? A grown up being on the stage. <laughs> Uh, that was three fighting pandas that was also his suggestion in the chat room that Mark Webber uh, got that but you're being called out Jake the chat room is saying that the Honda upgrade isn't until Japan well if we haven't had the Honda upgrade yet then watch out for them in Japan watch out for them in Japan Stevens is going now they, they had one upgrade new exhaust that was the one they kept well if that's the only thing that they've changed then the whole upgrade is coming for Japan oh my days they'll both be in Q3 they'll both be fighting for top sixes man we haven't seen what McLaren can do yet I tell you what the the, the chat room apart from my disgusting friend Tony Thunderbeast Barnard uh, who's disgusting and thinks the shoey is amazing the whole chat room is really coming in support of how gross that all is and how good Mark Webber was for, get, for chucking off I think it's just all that must mean our chat room is just full of parents no put that down no mouth is for food Food. All right, let's go yes. on to the... <laughs> let's go... <laughs> yeah, until you're 18. Okay, uh, let's find out who missed the apex. Oh, no, you missed the apex. Chris Stevens, who missed the apex for you? Chat room, tell me who missed the apex for you as well. Uh, Huss, double retirement. Absolutely, absolutely. And with it's just a double retirement with just bits falling off and, and just critical failures. Uh, I agree with that. Oh, Jake looks upset. He's got some mates at Haas, clearly. Don't tell them. Uh, Jake Sanson, what, who missed the apex for you? Coming back to Chris Stevens's point about Rosberg taking an unnecessary risk, I'm going to go with Rosberg. 
he could have thrown his championship away right there. He had an opportunity to pull it out, and he showed again today with that ballsy move on Raikkonen that could have gone a hundred and different ways wrong, and he's already got out of jail once. I don't think he's handling pressure very well at all. I think it's Rosberg. And yet amazingly, he's 23 points out in the lead of the Formula well, One World Championship. One DNF and a Hamilton victory, and it's the other way around, mate. Well, we can only hope if we weren't neutral. Only hope? Oh, we're not showing bias. No, no, no showing bias. Do, do you know what? I gave up on that after episode two. Uh, <laughs> trumpets! Uh, who missed the apex for you? Would it be too obvious to save battle? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, no, no, yeah. No, yeah. Oh yeah. Isn't it amazing how much it, happened it, for in me the... it was between Vettel yeah. and, and Grosjean's wing mirror, which jumped up and started smacking him in the head during qualifying. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one who spotted that. That's brilliant. <laughs> uh do you know what? Uh Haas is getting beaten up because the chat room is saying it's Gutierrez's reliant Robin. Ouch because it had three yeah. wheels at the end of the race. A Renault Renault's fuel blow off valve. Did something bad happen to a Renault? Fuel blow off. Oh, Magnussen. Yeah, it's set That's fire to him. Magnuson's yeah, rule one, don't set fire to the your drivers. Oh, no. Well. Yeah, don't set fire to your drivers. That's always well, bad. Rule, rule number one at Magnussen and Renault, don't get rear-ended and front-ended at the start, because that's probably what caused a lot of that, to be honest. And apparently uh, NBCSN, their commentating was not good. Well, we weren't we weren't privileged to that. We had uh, Channel 4. I'm thankful for not having NBC commentary. Oh, right. Okay. Uh <laughs> And Button, they're saying Button missed the apex because he started ninth and ended ninth. And Ariba Veni for being a misery butt guts and refusing press on the grid. Yeah, Ferrari just shut up, shut up, didn't they? Thanks for that, Thunder Beast. Uh, okay, well, well, let's move on to the next thing. I don't think there was a daddy I want a pony. I think everyone was quite civilised this week. Oh, Matt's got one. Hold on. Let me play the thingy. What's it then? Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. Who displayed petulant behaviour, Matthew? Oh, Everybody's favorite British driver, Jensen Button, in qualifying, oh, yeah. was on <laughs> oh, fire yeah. about the traffic. It sounded like he was on the oh, yeah. BQE right next to me. It's not fair. There are other cars on the track. They're slower than me. They're the way. But I was playing with turn 14, and then Magnuson got in the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It seemed a bit hard. Agreed, though. Agreed, oh. though. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I was, was going to say Grosjean, but yeah, Button's completely stolen the thunder for his qualifying rant. You're right. Uh, okay, and uh, oh, also this week we have a comment of the week, and it comes from Three Farting Pandas, who says that Trumpets and I operate on the same wavelength, and I only made that uh, comment of the week because it's not a thing I recommend, and I wanted to treat it as a PSA: avoid Trumpets's wavelength. I cannot recommend it, kids. And uh, by the way, thanks, Matt, for making the font size of comment of the week 45. Uh, Hence my hurried attempt to it. Jake Sanson, (laughs) Downforce Radio is fully back in swing now. Where can people find you? Point them at Downforce Radio. Well, uh, we're still rebuilding our website. So for the moment, you're going to have to be restricted to social media. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash Downforce Radio. Go and give it a like and a subscribe and chat. And uh, all the things we didn't have time for tonight, we'll probably pick up on Pitboard on Thursday. And that's our comedy program. So you really can let rip and say whatever you want and how you want to. And we'll chat away about it. And we will go at length because it's the best race of the year. And uh, there's very little else to talk about. <laughs> so that's uh, that's what we'll do. So we'll, we'll pick it up. And it's a two-hour show. So uh, yeah, you'll get an opportunity to let 
let rip about everything Malaysian Grand Prix and we'll do a sort of a mock the week style comedy music thing which we always do on Twitter we're at Downforce Radio so uh, there you go I'm never going on pit board again because you asked me a question about rally. Rally, Jake, the dirt people. I did, I, I did get my questions in the wrong order and I asked you a thing about a thing you know nothing about, quite rightly so, and that was very, very poor professionalism of me. And yes, I'm human. It happens. Jake, I the they go one at a time. It's not they even go racing. They go time. They it, go sideways. They're in shopping trolley business cars. I know. And it's sometimes they fly and that's not allowed. Chris Stevens, where can people find you apart from from formulaspy.com uh, yeah you can find me on twitter at c stevens underscore journo and uh, and I'm, I'm launching my uh, my new website this week uh, it's called millenniumharvest.com uh, uh, it's all about pop culture so tv film video games music all that sort of stuff very big project i'm really excited to so, so it, it has launched it, it will be this week so you've got nothing to report really <laughs> So you don't, you don't even know how... Well, you if you want to take a pessimistic view of it, then yeah. Hashtag but... bully. So, so it hasn't happened yet. That's all I'm saying. Hey, no, no, no. It is happening. On a serious Hashtag note, very excited about that. Very excited about that because they're all the things I'm into as well, believe it or not. Uh, oh, how I'd love to have time to do any of those things anymore. Matt Trumpets, you're a parent. People can find you cowering in the corner, hoping that none of the women in your family will find you. <laughs> Actually, in the office, you know, it was horrifying. I told you the movie premiere, we got to play free games. We played, uh, they have this competitive style Pac-Man game where you can play against each other. Now, I, I yes, I've seen that. Yeah, they've got them at center parts. But anytime my wife or my daughter won, it was all yells and screams and high fives. And I noticed that whenever I won, crickets, crickets. I was like, I get this. I understand how this is. Yeah. But nevertheless, if you don't follow me on Twitter's at MattPT55, please go to the Amazons and buy my wife's latest book, Amanda Weaver, Reluctant Betrothal. We need to sell more copies so that I can afford a Ferrari because I need a car that will catch on fire. Jake? Yes. <laughs> I was just going to do one final plug uh, because I noticed a lot of the people on the chat room uh, seem to be into Forza or into Xbox One. Uh, do please add me on Gamertag uh, on Xbox Live, which is Jake Space Sanson, and uh, drive into the side of a fat commentator while he giggles and eats chips. And and also uh, at Spanners Ready, add Spanners Ready. I try and yeah. involve myself in we, those We are actually we, actually we have actually got a sort of a Downforce Radio racing gaming slash Twitch channel project thing coming up which we may need a lot of people to help us with. So, uh, yeah, watch this space on that and uh, add uh, Downforce Radio on your Facebook and your Twitter and keep up to date and we'll let you know what's happening. Okay, and the last thing from the chat room, who I must say thank you very much for attending in such numbers this week. Absolutely fantastic to have so many of you in there commentating and keeping us on our toes. And Matt looked under pressure as the, uh, the Hamilton fans put him under the cosh for his spurious engine claims. But but I must say, thank you very much to you guys. The, the last comment they've left us with is that Millennium Harvest is a great name for a death cult. So, so on that note, I'll say please find me at Spanners Ready on Twitter. Someone go to www.spannersready.com and tell me if Stephen Williams' article on Rosberg is any good or not. And until next time, wound heal, chicks dig scars, and glory last forever. This has been Missed Apex.
the podcast listeners will now hear an interview with a young lady that we had on our podcast, Matt, a few years ago that we predicted was going to go big places. Her name is Anna Pancoldi. And when I realized that she'd been on Radio 2, that she had a US tour coming up, that she had a UK tour coming up, and that she is destined for big, big things, I called her straight up and I said, Hey, do you remember me? It's Spanners. I talked to the internet from my shed. Will you talk to me again? And her answer was, I'm about to get to a gig in Paris but I will talk to you if you call me now. So I now have her number two. Uh, the beautiful, the talented, the amazing Anna Pancaldi coming up for you right now. Hello. Anna, thank you so much for joining us again. Hello, thanks for having me back. You've been running into Radio 2. You're, you've got things set up in America. When I asked if you could come back on the show and say hello to us, you're like, ah, oh, maybe I could squeeze it in. I, I mean, I'm in Paris. I'm on the way to a show. So things can't be going badly. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, things have been really amazing. I've been working incredibly hard. But, um, but yeah, just came back off of my first tour in the States and ended up singing on CBS TV, which was just crazy. And yeah, no, there's been a huge amount going on, but it's all wonderful stuff. I've actually got my brand new single coming out on the 10th of October, which um, which I'm really excited about. And that's actually the um, the track that I filmed the music video for in Paris just a few days ago. Wow, and, how glamorous. Um, yeah, so it's all go. It's I can't fantastic. believe you're slumming it back to my podcasting shed. But I do have an advantage because you were uh, many, many years ago in my wife's gospel choir. I was. I have so many fond <laughs> memories of that. Honestly, it was fantastic. It was just, we had so many laughs if I could go back to college now I, I absolutely would <laughs> well more importantly though we now consider you a firm celebrity uh, contact uh, so when little Ivy's ready to start going on tour and being a famous singer she, you're on point you're our first call hell yeah <laughs> so, uh, you got my number <laughs> so how did, how did what did Radio 2 make of you I mean Dermot O'Leary said some lovely things yeah he was really nice actually yeah no it was brilliant I um you know, I had him play me out and Tom Robinson from Six Music. And, you know, I've had a, a huge amount of support from the BBC, which has been wonderful. And, you know, at the beginning of your career, it can be really hard to kind of get people to listen. And, and they have been fantastic. Uh, but we've just played a little <laughs> snippet of your track, uh, Runaway, which we'll, we'll, we'll close out on as well. Um, but you've got a UK tour coming up as well. Yeah, what's happening for the next little while is I'm I'm popping back to America and then I've America. actually got yeah, a full UK and European tour when I when I launch the whole EP in March of next year, which feels like quite a long time away, but it's not. So um but I'm gonna be launching the brand new single on October the twelfth at a really beautiful church in London called St. Leonard's. I can't pin anything. I can't say that's that's like that or that's like that. This is uniquely Anna. Oh, well, thank you so much. I mean, that is the ultimate compliment and kind of what every artist hopes to hear. <laughs> well, hopefully it will go on for a long time. I suppose the biggest compliment is that when uh, I put on the track, my family would not let me turn turn it off and we had to listen to everything you had on SoundCloud. Uh, Anna, when people hear this, when people hear the rest of this track, they're going to want to find you on the internet. Where can they do that? Where can they try and hear yeah. you live? By, by just literally typing in Anna Pancaldi, which is A double N A P A N C A L D I, and um, yeah, and basically the launch in London on October the twelfth is is the one to head to, and um, yeah, and then I'll be back in I'll be back in the new year to do 
headline shows but yeah that won't be until until march so so pop along to that one if you can i'm i'm so excited about <laughs> it and i'm very proud of this new single so yeah well, well listeners that's uh, that's almost as glamorous as talking to the internet in a shed isn't it anna thank you so much <laughs> it's so gratifying to see somebody that we were so excited about a couple of years ago now really going out and, and doing it properly in all the the major places you can see music Oh, well, thank you so much. And yeah, thanks so much for making time to have me back on the show. It's lovely to chat to you again. And hopefully your family won't force you to listen to my entire Spotify history is, for too much longer. For us, it just it just means we can forever name drop. Yeah, Anna Pankaldi. We, yeah, we knew her. We knew her when she was starting out her tour. Anna, best of luck and uh, good luck kicking it to America. Oh, thank you so much. Lots of love. Zombies over shaking, heavy hearted, you're mistaken. I will live without you. Cause everybody tired, everybody busy, only got time to stop and stare. And everybody tired, everybody busy, you know, they're forgetting, they're forgetting. So run away, run away, run away. I said, run away. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.